0: may be seated. Our sermon text today is Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. Before we take a look at that though, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that as we just sang that you would indeed open our eyes that we may see and open our ears that we may hear your truth your word and most especially lord we pray that you would open our hearts that we might receive it so that we might be illumined by your spirit that we might know your will for us speak to us now through your holy word we ask it In the name of Christ Jesus, your Son and our Lord. Amen. Here now, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is the inspired word of God. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. I love the 1980s i was eight years old when the 1980s began i was a a senior in high school as the decade came to a close and so many of my my growing up years coincided with the decade of the 1980s and as i look back on that time period i i do so with a great deal of nostalgia fondly remembering The music, the games, the the TV shows, and the celebrities of that age. Now, I don't necessarily believe that any of them were necessarily uh, qualitatively better than those of any other era, but there's just a special place in my heart for them. One of the celebrities of that era that is special to me, in my memories, is Lawrence Turow. Perhaps you don't remember Lawrence Thoreau. Actually, my guess is that you do remember him. You simply don't recognize the name. Lawrence Thoreau was known for his huge muscles and his menacing presence, his gaudy gold jewelry, and his mohawk haircut. Yes, Lawrence Thoreau is better known as Mr. T., Mr. T was known for one other thing. It was his oft-repeated catchphrase. Do you remember it? I pity the fool. I pity the fool, he said. I saw an interview once with Mr. T where he said that the origins of that phrase were actually in the Bible, and it turns out that that he's actually a born-again Christian, and, and I found it interesting, so I was kind of waiting with Bated breath to hear what he had to say about it. He said that the origins were in the Bible. He said, well, I I looked in the Bible and I saw there's a lot of fools in the Bible. And there's a lot to pity in the Bible. And so I just put them together. (laughs) Okay, sure, I guess so. I I don't know. The, The fools that he was thinking about perhaps were the fools that we see in today's text. In Galatians. I don't know if it's pity that they needed. They certainly needed the grace of God fortunately the good news for them as well as for us when we are acting foolishly is that the good news is that god is a god of grace and we see in this passage this fact in the good news proclaimed the good news believed and the good news planned i want to look at these three things today first the good news proclaimed (coughs) oh foolish galatians paul says in verse one and we need to remember now when we see this term foolish that biblically speaking foolishness is not so much a category of the mind as it is of the heart it is set in opposition to wisdom right and we Remember back to when we studied Ecclesiastes not too long ago, that, that wisdom was, when used in the Bible, essentially referring to skill in the art of godly living. And so, so with foolishness as its opposite, we see that, that for the fool, it's not so much that they don't know the truth in their mind, but rather their heart is set against it. Their heart is set against it as demonstrated through the fact that they are acting contrary to the truth. It's weird to act contrary to the truth. We we wouldn't normally do this, at least not when we are thinking rightly, when we are using wisdom. Imagine, for instance, walking to the edge of a cliff, right, and looking over and saying, oh, this is a nice place, I think I'll just take one step further, right? And everything will be fine. It's not a problem. I'm just going to walk out further to get a better view. We wouldn't think that because we know that the truth is there's this thing called gravity, right? And if we step off the edge of the cliff, we will fall, right? And so we, we act according to our knowledge of that truth and we, we stay from walking over the edge, right? It would be very odd for us to act contrary to what we know to be the truth it's not normal it's not rational you act in accordance to the truth so that's why paul asks the galatians here who has bewitched you who has bewitched you he says. He's not suggesting that there actually was was actual witchcraft going on per se but he's he's saying that that it is mesmerizing how you are 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 acting here i I'm just dumbfounded by it. I can't imagine what could possibly cause you to act so contrary to that which has clearly been proclaimed to you as truth. The way you are behaving makes no sense. I'm reminded of a phrase that one of my seminary professors often used, Michael Williams, Uh, was his name, he would say often that sin is by its very nature irrational. It never makes sense. And I'm reminded of what Proverbs has to say, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And yet we routinely trade the glory and goodness and graciousness of god in exchange for the filth of our so-called good works instead of resting in god's all sufficient grace we fall into a, a mentality of work salvation this idea that that i'm going to do it i am going to do enough to make myself good before God. Why would we possibly do this? I can only conclude that it's because, because we want all the credit, or at least some of the credit. We want to, to be able to think that we did our part to somehow earn what we have received, that that God likes us, but it's because we're good enough to be liked. It's because we've done enough, because we've earned enough points, that way we have accomplished it Elder DJ Ward once said I hear this on television and I hear it in churches God has done all he can do the rest is up to you but if the rest is up to you then Jesus didn't accomplish his task to save people from their sins but as Ward pointed out the death of Christ was not an attempt, it was an accomplishment, right? Jesus accomplished this. His goal was to save his people from their sins, and he did not just attempt to do this. It was not just an effort that he made. It was something that he actually accomplished on Calvary's cross. The debt was paid. Our sins were atoned for. Our salvation was secured, and it is finished and we can rest in that truth we can rest in that truth that is what jesus said on the cross right those were his last words he says says as he is dying gasping for breath his final final words it is finished the debt is paid and he gave up the ghost paul says it was before your eyes that jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. He, he's saying here that, that it was before your eyes he was publicly portrayed. It's as if he was he was uh, he's placarded or it's billboarded, right? There, it's like he says we. it was before your eyes like a billboard. I, I was thinking about billboards this week and I thought of Times Square. We were fortunate enough as a family to go to New York City about a year and a half ago and it's amazing and in Times Square to look around. There's just billboards everywhere. You know, just Everywhere around you, and it makes sense if you think how, how many people come by there. I, I, I looked it up, and, and, and they said almost 400,000 people a day pass through Times Square. Okay, so all these, that's, what, 800,000 eyes in Times Square looking at everything. You know, it's a very valuable advertising space. Uh, upwards toward as much as, I read, the, the most expensive, the largest and most expensive billboard in Times Square costs $3 million a month to pay for okay so 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 this is a pricey message that is being placed on that billboard but as as pricey as it is as costly as it is as valuable as that space is know this as jesus has been billboarded before your eyes as he has been proclaimed before you that that message of his death for you on Calvary's cross was more costly to him and more valuable to us than three million dollars. Right? Or any billboard that is in Times Square. He gave up all that he had. It was an infinite price that he paid. And an infinite salvation that we received. What a blessing. And so it is that he was portrayed as crucified, not only you know, we need to understand this. I think that that Jesus wasn't the only one to come around saying he was the Messiah, right? We we think of these days, you know, you know, we see some some crazy guy comes around and says he's the Messiah. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm Jesus come back. Well, that's not something new in our age. It was something that was happening then as well. There were other people who were so-called messiahs, and they would gather people around them that would follow them, and and they would, you know do their thing and do their preaching and whatever would happen and eventually they'd, they'd gather enough followers and gain enough influence that the Jews would take action. <laughs> right? They'd say, uh, we need to do something about this guy and they'd turn him over to the Romans and they'd crucify him. right? And that would be the end of it. His followers would say, oh, guess that wasn't the Messiah. Guess he's not our man. And they'd scatter and it would be forgotten to history. Jesus was different, was he not? Because when he was crucified, that was not the end of his messiahship, right? It was not the end because two reasons. One, his death didn't end his mission. It actually accomplished his mission, right? Because his mission was to save his people from their sins. And it was through the death of the righteous lamb of God on Calvary's cross that We were saved from our sins. So his death didn't end his mission like it did for all of the other so called Messiahs. It actually accomplished it. But beyond that, his death wasn't the end because he rose again. So that Jesus, even today, is now alive and at the right hand of God the Father, not just in like a spiritual sense, he's some kind of spiritual Jesus, is there? No, the physical Jesus, a human being fully man and yet fully God is alive and this is the gospel that Paul had proclaimed to them and that I have proclaimed to you <laughs> right so we like the Galatians are without excuse And sometimes I hear people say, well, well, you know, you, you say this gospel how Jesus died for our sins. We have to believe in Jesus and trust in him. But what about the person who's never heard of him to which I say, let's not worry about them right now. Let's worry about you. You have heard of him, right? You have heard of him. You have heard the message. You are without excuse. You know the truth. Do you trust in him? I urge you today, believe the good news. That leads us to our second point, the good news believed. The good news believed. In verses 2, and, and then we'll skip down to verse 5 here to start out with, I just want to point out, he says this, Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You notice the the commonality between these two phrases, kind of saying the same thing. It's what's called an inclusio, where we say the same thing twice. And the idea is that everything kind of in between there is in that same theme, it's filling out that. And, and if we look more carefully at verses 2 through 5, we might see that actually there's, there's four questions that are, are rhetorical questions that he is asking that share one unified message. Right? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then he asks, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Third, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Fourth, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, the point he's making here is in asking each of these rhetorical questions, he's not looking for an actual answer to them. He's trying to make the point that, that we are saved by grace, through faith. And a lot of times we, we accept that, that this is not our own work, that this is something that God has done. He has saved us. He has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, and he is the one who has done this. And I did nothing to deserve it, and here I am, but now I need to work my tail off so that I stay in, otherwise God will kick me out. Right? I need to work and work and work, and, and if I can become really holy, it'll be because I worked really hard to do it. Right, I followed all the right teachers, and I studied all the right Bible verses. I memorized the right passages. I was in the right Bible study, and, and, and I, I did all the right spiritual disciplines. And I, and I did, and I did, and I did, and I did. And therefore, I became holy, and I can be really proud about that. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Now, now indeed, we should work. We should be doing if we are indeed saved if we have indeed trusted in christ jesus of course we should be working there should be an an outworking of our faith seen in our works that's what james is essentially all about is he he writes in james 2 right so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead he says it's, it's not really a real faith it's not a living faith a true faith if there aren't works that flow out of it in verse 18 he says show me your faith apart from your works i will show you my faith by my works you believe that god is one you do well but even the demons believe and shudder he's saying you know sometimes we think you know well i just need to believe in god as long as we believe god exists that's really all he wants and james says no even the demons believe that you know it's not enough just to believe that god exists are you kidding me need to trust in Jesus trust in him depend upon him but if we truly trust in him depend upon him rely upon him and find him to be worthy then our life will necessarily go in a direction of doing certain things loving others as he has loved us You see, if, if we do this, it must always be in response to what he's done and not as an effort to stay in, not as an effort to, to do enough to merit our inclusion. right? Because if, if we're doing it for that reason, we will never have security, will we? Right? If, it, if, if my being a part of the kingdom of God, staying in, you know, is, is paying enough dues of good works... And how will I ever know if I've done enough, right? I mean, I did a lot of good things, but, but was it enough? I mean, were they good enough? Because there's that other guy who's doing more good things than I am. Maybe I need to do as much as him. Or, or, or maybe I haven't done them recently enough. Or, or how could I ever have assurance that I've done enough? See, my assurance doesn't rest in my good works. It rests in the perfect work of Christ Jesus. From start to finish, the Christian life is all about the power and grace of God in the beginning, in its growth, and in its completion. That's what Paul says in Philippians. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, right? He doesn't say, I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will be pleased with you because you brought it to completion, right? That's not what he says. He says he will bring it to completion. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter writes, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our, our, Our inheritance is kept by God for us. It's not going away. And furthermore, we are kept by God in that same way. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Further, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. He says that he holds us in his omnipotent hands. And there is none that is able to snatch us away. What great security we have in that, right? It's the idea that we had when we were little kids, you know, on the playground. I remember, you know, whenever you'd get in an argument with somebody else, you know, well, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Well, you, you know, you're silly and you're, you're not nice. And finally, the final word was, well, my dad's bigger than your dad. Right? Because because that's the end of the argument, Right? If my dad's bigger than your dad, there's nothing you can do. Brother and sister in Christ, let me assure you our dad is bigger than their dad. And you can rest in that truth. That is the good news to believe. We rest in it, we depend upon it, we find our peace in it, but we need to realize that it didn't just happen by accident. Finally, we see the good news planned. We need to go kind of quickly through this in our passage today. We saw how Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is the faith of those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He says that that if we trust in Christ Jesus, if we believe in the promises of God, then that makes us sons of Abraham. That makes us the people who are his legitimate heirs, right? The idea is thought that the the sons of Abraham are the Jews, the people of God. And and what he's saying here is, is we are grafted into that family. We are legitimately his sons in a way. That goes even beyond the sonship of those who are merely his physical descendants. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Right? That's what we read just earlier in our unison scripture reading. Right? That, That he said I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great that you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. This was the plan of God from the very beginning. From, from before the beginning, if we can say that. It dates to eternity past, 1 Corinthians 2, 7. We impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 2 Timothy 1, 9. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages Began, You get that? He gave this to us in Christ Jesus, not just at the cross 2,000 years ago, but before the ages began. It was the perfect plan of God. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4 tells us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Indeed, this is a wonderful promise that the plan of God dates back all the way to this it is not some some sort of 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 deal where God's coming up with this on the fly it's not a plan b right he he started out with Adam and Adam messed up and what am I going to do now and and then you know other people Noah messed oh my goodness And all these people are messing up all the way and God's like I don't know what I'm going to do and uh maybe we'll no it was the plan before anything happened before Adam was created much less fell plan of God was in place and we've seen it work out throughout all of history even in Genesis with the story of Abraham right we didn't see it today we looked at Genesis 12 but if we read in Genesis 15 we'd read about how the promises to Abraham were going to be further carried out he promised him he would have descendants he said look toward the heaven number the stars if you're able to number them so shall your offspring be he didn't have any descendants at this point. He was already an old man. But what did Abraham do? He believed the Lord. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? This doesn't mean that Abraham believed the Lord. And that somehow merited him a righteous standing. Right? It's not that this was an act of righteousness. No, he believed the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He entrusted himself to the Lord. And therein was clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ. We are the same way. We are left with no hope unless we entrust ourselves to Christ. But if we do so, no longer are we robed in the filthy rags of our good works. Good works. Instead, we are clothed in the perfect righteousness of of the son of God the one who died for us see because Abraham couldn't have been justified by the works of the law they hadn't even been given to Moses yet he couldn't have been perfected by the covenantal sign of circumcision which was still two chapters away no he was justified because he believed in the promises of God And that is what we need to do as well. Believe in the promises of God. Believe in the promises of God. Believe in the promises of God. And here's another promise of God that is a wonderful promise. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, or verse 19, we go back to 18 even. Verse 18, he says, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not just I'll be with you for a while, Not just, I'm with you as long as you keep doing things the way I want you to do them. No. I am with you always. It's the end of the age. So, since that is true, since all authority is his, and since he will always be with us, let us be working out his plan that he has had since the beginning. Our goal is not to come up with our own plan, but to get on board with his. Seeking in all we do to lead people into a deeper experience and expression of the gospel. The gospel proclaimed, the gospel believed, and the gospel planned from the very beginning of time. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for making us your people. We have done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to merit it. And furthermore, there is nothing in us apart from you that keeps us as your people. But you, by your grace and for your glory, have done so. And so we are the beneficiaries. We give you thanks. And we pray that we would be not merely receptacles of your grace, but conduits of it so that your blessings, like they flowed into the life of Abraham, that he might be a blessing to all the families of the earth, that we might be the same. May we receive your blessing and then share it with others to the glory of your holy name. Amen.